You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. Welcome back, friends. Please make sure your pod seat and tray table are in their upright and locked position. Pull out your Hugo Award nomination ballot and add the Functional Nerds podcast to your best fan cast selections. Once you have done this, the airlock will seal and life support systems will engage. (laughs) We hope you enjoy and survive your trip to the Functional Nerdverse. Patrick, you remembered yeah. Yoda this time and you had I zero did. reaction. None. <laughs> it's because, of course, our current guest is an avid listener who is who is wise to your ways. So I, I suspect we may have gamed ourselves here a little bit. Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. Said avid listener, by the way, who is our, our, our second guest of 2023, welcome again to the new year, folks, is Joe Carpiers, uh, who is probably better known to you as Cannoli Joe. Uh, Cannoli Joe, how's it going? It's good. How are you guys doing? I mean... <laughs> Everybody's excited. Yeah. Patrick's having the best time with the soundboard with the new year, too. I'm just kind of pulling out all the stops here. <laughs> so we're, we're doing well. And in particular, a couple weeks back when Patrick and I were talking about uh, new blocks of, of scheduling and who to have on and whatnot, we were floating ideas to one another. And one of the things I, I mentioned was you know, the Hugo Award nomination season is underway um, and the window of time for people to make themselves eligible to nominate and so on uh, is rapidly closing in the month of January. And a lot of people, I think, care a lot about and are interested in the sort of wider world of science fiction and fantasy and its fandom, but remain sort of mystified by the Hugo experience. And so in talking about this back and forth uh, with one another, I, I landed upon you and said, you know, it, I would love to have someone come on who understands the, the world of the Hugo Awards really well from a fan perspective and has a lot of insight into it. And so, so hi, Joe. Welcome aboard. <laughs> I will oh, say well, this. Is Hold that, on. Is that who I am? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I will say this. Uh, yeah. if, you, if you follow Cannoli Joe on social media, you will see that he is, and I'm going to embarrass him a little bit here, but he's very meticulous. Like mm. he he will go down the ballot and he's like, I'm reading these books to that mm-hmm. are Hugo that I think are Hugo eligible. And like, mm-hmm. I'm reading these short stories and I'm doing it. And like you, you, you take it very, very seriously. That's, that's one of the reasons why we thought of, of talking. Yeah, to you for sure. Absolutely. It's not just so I can crack a bunch of jokes. I mean, but that's a side benefit. It's a side benefit. It's in there. Yeah. It's part of like, it's, it's like a, it's like a large side. It's the side you go back for seconds for if you're Patrick. Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So, okay. Let's wind back a little bit. History of the Hugo Awards for those who are unfamiliar is their name for Hugo Gernsback, uh, known for founding the Amazing Stories uh, magazine in 1926, which was the first uh, American based wide publisher of short fiction specifically for science fiction. Um, And that eventually, like all science fiction and fantasy magazines, eventually reached its its swan song not terribly long after having been created. Uh, But Hugo Gernsback contribution continues to be remembered through the Hugo Awards and name, which were first uh, issued in 1953. And so we're coming up on, gosh, is this the 82nd? 80, 80 I think something. it's the 81st World Con, yeah. 
Yeah, coming up uh, in Chengdu, China uh, this coming year. So, well, this the year that we're in right now, actually. So, all right. Talk to me a little bit about, like, how did you get into the Hugo Award nominating sphere? Or like, or even before that, how did, like, what was your first Worldcon? Oh, yeah. The first Worldcon was Chicago in 1982, which was Chicago 4. Is that the same hotel we were at just a few months ago? They've, they've had it there. I mean, it's like... I, I practically know the place, right? Anybody who's gone to the, I've been to four, five, six, seven, and eight. There. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. the same carpet. <laughs> oh, uh. <laughs> and, 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 no, I'm kidding. They had to change and, it because they they stopped letting people smoke in there a few years ago. So that's true. That's true. Yeah. That was my first convention. Oh, wow. not only my first WorldCon, but dove my first in the convention. deep end. Yeah. I dove in the deep end, and so it, the, the the questions kind of dovetail. Tracy, you asked how I how I, how I got into this. Um, it was in my first job at uh, out of, right out of school. I always used to carry a paperback with me to read at lunchtime. And um, mm-hmm. my office mate, an older gentleman, was also a science fiction fan, mm-hmm. uh, dropped a flyer. Now this is a piece of paper that was a progress <laughs> report um, I, I, on my I've desk. Heard of said, these, things, I, these pieces of paper. <laughs> I think you might be interested in this. And it was progress report zero for Shikon 4. And I looked at it and went, huh, yeah, I guess maybe I would be. And um, so I just, I, I signed up and uh, I was living in Northwest Indiana at the time, probably about, I don't know, Ooh, I'm 35, sorry. 40 minutes away. So I, I didn't, I didn't get a hotel room. I just, I just commuted every day. But um, yeah, that was, uh, that's how I got started. I don't think I actually started voting, participating in, in the process until next year, the mm-hmm. next year in Baltimore, 1983. Did you take that damn toll road that goes there across northern Indiana? Um, when I eventually moved to Illinois, before I actually moved, I took a job in the, on the northwest side of Chicago. And yeah, every morning and every night, I took the Chicago Skyway. Yep. <laughs> Still there. So so, so have, have you ever had a Chicago-style dog? Yeah, <laughs> you have no kind of okay. a question. No so, 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 have you ever had an MLA style dog? I don't know oh where this God. is going, but no. no. This is just this. I hesitate to say that this joke was for me because I reject it, it and been. return it to sender. But this is um, this is an extremely nerdy uh, academic citation style. There's Chicago style and APA style and and MLA. AP style and Turabian and MLA style. And okay, so at least I'm not as why, I'm not as why as I feel. doesn't okay. Zencaster have a punching function, Patrick Louise? Why can't I activate the punch button? <laughs> this is why you're not coming to Capricorn because you're you're going to just heap up all this animus in the and you're just going to hope the next time we see each other in physical space I will have used it elsewhere. I see what's happening here. He comes in here in February and I'm going to jack him up. <laughs> so who who were the who were the guests of honor at your first Worldcon? Oh my God! You're going to make me look that up. I have no idea. That was forty. Oh, years you don't ago. remember? Nah, it doesn't no, matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I was just curious. I was just curious. I, I thought about looking a whole bunch of stuff up, and then I realized I could spend all morning looking stuff up and not answering anything because I looked up the wrong stuff. So it's <laughs> so, true. So, it's like so, how so, do I study for this exam? Yeah, yeah from pretty a, much. From a, fan, from a fanish standpoint, you you keep all the the programs and stuff from Worldcons and Capricorns, right? 
I do. Um, I don't have some of the real early ones. I don't have the 82 or 83 ones. I just looked this morning, actually. The first mm-hmm. one I have is the one from LA Con 2 in 1984. Wow. And the okay. one in 1987 in Brighton, England, which I did go to, is a hardback. Ooh. Wow. Spared yeah. no expense. It's, it's, and I'd forgotten that Fancy. completely again because it sits on the shelf and never gets looked at, but it's there. Yep. Fancy schmancy. So after you went to the first Worldcon, Worldcon clearly became a habit to the, to the extent that you were able to sustain it as a habit. So what about Worldcon um, and the whole sort of culture that surrounds it has, has kept its grip on you all this time? It's changed quite a bit. You know, I, I first started going because I wanted to listen to and potentially meet the people I've been reading since I've been a kid, right? Mm-hmm. And that happened. I mean, I, that I far started back. Those people, you wow. know, that far back, you know. I met I met Asimov. I met Bradbury. I met, you know, all, all Fred Pohl, but, we, you know, he's been around for, had been around for a while yeah. here anyway. Um I met all those people and then I started making friends and that's when things started to change. And while it was still about the professionals and getting a chance to meet them, it became also a place where I hung out with my friends, maybe only once a year, the only time I saw them, but, and and that's kind of what it is now. Um, I mean, I still go to see the pros, but I'm a lot more there to see my friends. Yeah, yeah, that network builds over time, you know. Yes. And some it, of those it, folks you only see at Worldcon, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the Gareth Cavanaugh's of the world. You've so, talked before so about how there's the Gareth Cavanaugh rule for you, Patrick. Yeah, and actually this last time I didn't see him at all, which was weird because he was there Ooh. and I never Does I never it ran count? Into him. Like does world does Shycon 8 count as a having happened then or is it know. existing in some weird in-between space? It's weird. I don't know. My wallet says it happened. <laughs> there is that. Yeah. So, okay. Before we frighten people off from engagement in the larger uh, Hugo-related community with the idea of costs and expenses, we probably need to wind it back to, like, what are the Hugo Awards and how does how does one engage in them? Um, and so for those of you who, who aren't aware, and sometimes I, I talk to my students about it in these terms, and they're not... They're not perfect analogs, but there are a number of of significant awards that exist for science fiction and fantasy. Um, There's the Hugo Awards. There's the World Fantasy Awards, which don't strictly honor fantasy exclusively. Um, There's the Bram Stoker Awards for horror. There's uh, the Nebula Awards, uh, which which are issued by the Science Fiction Writers of America Guild, um, and so on and so on. And each one of them has a, a, a sort of different position, I guess, in ter- within the community in terms of who are the people operating this award and how is it issued and so on. Like the World Fantasy Award is a juried award, for instance. Uh, SIFWA's uh, Nebula Award is the community of science fiction fantasy writers nominating and voting from amongst themselves. So in that sense, it's a little bit like the Screen Actors Guild Award, sort of. Um, whereas I think there's a certain Oscars quality to the World Fantasy Award because of the juried aspect of it. And then you get to um, the Hugo Awards, which probably have the best name recognition overall, but also mm-hmm. in a lot of ways are the most egalitarian. So uh, talk to us about that. How does one become involved in Hugo Award nomination and voting? 
you simply need to be a member of that year's Worldcon in order to vote for the Higos themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, You can also nominate, not only if you're a member of that year's uh, Worldcon, but a member of the prior year's Worldcon. So, for for example, if you're a member of ShyCon 8, you can nominate for the Hugo's presented at Chengdu. Okay. Um, So the nominating period will open. Um, You have to be at least, let me step back, you have to be at least a supporting member, okay, which you kind of automatically get if you vote in site selection. You get that automatically and then can convert to um, um, attending later. Um, the, the Hugo nominating period typically opens soon-ish. It hasn't opened yet. Um, I've been reading something about that. I think they're getting ready to, to send out all the emails. but It opens right around the time the opportunity to obtain your supporting membership closes. Or at least to, you could get a supporting membership at whatever time you want, but you have to have a supporting membership by a certain period to you engage do. in the nomination. Yeah, you do. And they, they let you know what that deadline is. They tell you often enough. So, um, so back up again. Sure. There are there are two kinds of memberships, and I think that this is still true even with the changes that they just made. Uh, there's one where you're going to go to WorldCon, and there's one mm-hmm. where you're not going to go to WorldCon. Mm-hmm. Not going is supporting, and the going is attending. But I think they've changed the names of those now, haven't they? I don't know for sure. I, I I know that Chengdu has done done something a little different in that I believe there's a type of membership where you can attend but not vote. Oh, okay. that's even very interesting. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, so, so 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 if you are uh, if you went to the prior year prior year's Worldcon or you were a supporting member of the prior year Worldcon, you can nominate for the next year. You can nominate for the next year, but you can't vote. That's correct. You have to you have to purchase some sort of membership for the next year's Worldcon in order to vote. So right now, if you have a ShyCon Eight membership of any kind, that allows you to vote, or that allows you to nominate. Excuse me. Correct. That allows you to nominate. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where people get all confused, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you can nominate right now as soon as the emails go out. They they tend to send email. They also let you do paper, which I think is just crazy. They still do paper, <laughs> but I get it. There are four people uh, who really want those paper ballots. There are, so, yeah, you know, and uh, but in order to vote, you have to get the you have to get some sort of membership with this year's Worldcon, which is still out there. You can still get them. I think Tracy, to your point, uh, they they cut off when you can get last year's. Is it last year's or this year's? This is where it gets confusing. What are they going to cut off? They're going to cut um, something off after they send out the nomination ballots. Yeah, they cut off your ability to to nominate um, yeah. if you haven't already got your supporting membership. And typically that happens like last week of January is your yeah. deadline to have a supporting membership that will allow you to nominate for the Hugo ballot. Because uh, the nomination period tends to go uh, through early March. Um, and then by by shortly after that, they, they make the announcement of what the actual finalists for the ballot will be. And then they give people the summer. Uh, to do their reading, their watching, and their their consideration based on the different categories. Mm-hmm. It looks like uh, the 2023 Chengdu Worldcon uh, supporting membership rate for that allows both Hugo nomination and Hugo voting is going to be $50. 
Um, and an important consideration in that is when you get a membership to a supporting membership to Worldcon, it typically comes with access to a digital packet. Um, so that when you yeah. reach the point that there is a voting ballot of people, these are the finalists, the top five uh, in their given categories, um, the publishers of those works will typically assemble a DRM-free uh, voting packet that they then send out to people who have purchased the supporting membership so that they can read um, examples of this work. If it's short fiction, it's typically the work in its entirety. If it's a novel, it's sometimes a couple of short chapters. Occasionally, there have even been publishers that have made the entire ebook of a novel part of um, those materials, although that's become Joe, less Joe, common. Joe has a comment. Yeah, so back in... I want to say it was 2015. Mm -hmm. The entire Wheel of Time series was nominated for Best Novel. Yeah. Or and, Best Series. Yeah. Okay. No, Best Novel. Best and Series is newer. Yeah. They included all 15 novels in the packet. Oh, God. Yeah. And so, <laughs> I mean, even if you only get, it's there's typically five, um, you know, finalists and then the possibility of voting no award if you don't support any of those. Um, but there's there's five finalists in any given category. And even if only a couple of those finalists end up having their novels or their novellas or novelettes shared in their entirety, you're getting quite a lot of material um, for your yeah. for, for access for that $50, as well as, of I, course, the opportunity to kind of engage in this cool process. I will throw it out there that the 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 DRM free, yeah, doesn't mean not fucking annoying. <laughs> uh, so, like as an example, you could you could get a you could get a PDF, and uh, uh, you can get a, a PDF that is that is uh, pretty set in stone. Uh, it's you're not going to be able to drop it into your e-reader, and it's not going to flow. Uh, but you'll have the book to read or the story to read kind of thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. So so stuff like that. But I mean, I, I feel like there have been a couple of years where something wasn't included for reasons. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's up to the discretion of both the publisher and the creator yeah. how they want their work represented within the packet. Um, yeah. And in fact, the convention is under no obligation to provide that. They're not, no. It's, it's a courtesy, but it's a cool courtesy. And that's Teresa's point. It's, yeah. it's really cool. There have been years in the past where I've been a voting member and I've gotten that packet. And uh, me being me, there's no freaking way I can get through all of those books uh, and mm -hmm. all those stories. And I do my best and I've tried. I'm, I'm nowhere near as good at it as, say, for example, a Cannoli Joe. Yes, indeed. Cannoli it's Joe has good years and bad years. I want, I want to point <laughs> something out because I had to think about what you said for a minute, Tracy. Um, you nominate five, but the final yes. ballot has six per category. Ah, I, I'm and happy is, to be corrected. This is an offshoot of the silliness back in 2015. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And for, yeah, for folks who aren't familiar with the silliness to which Joe is referring here, um, without getting bogged down in the details too much, uh, there was a period of time in the mid-2010s or so um, that extended really just up until the last couple of years where there was essentially a kind of culture war being acted out with the Hugo Awards as a sort of proxy battle zone. 
um, where there were individuals who felt that the works that were being nominated and acknowledged uh, for Hugo Awards were getting those nominations and acknowledgments for reasons not related to their quality um, and some backlash from individuals who felt that their work was being neglected. And it, it more or less broke down um, along a lot of um, a lot of culture politics and, um, frankly, a lot of uh, sort of, uh, racial biases and things of that nature. And it was a pretty ugly time. Um, but I, it does seem as if we've largely transcended that. And I think that is a credit, um, to the world cons that have carried the ball forward to the Hugo Awards as an organization, um, and to the fandom, um, they, that they, is- they found, they found a loophole that, that everybody kind of knew existed. Mm-hmm. And they exploited it and did block voting uh, to get mm-hmm. certain books and, and authors mm-hmm. and editors onto the ballots. Mm-hmm. And it forced uh, conversations and changes in the way that nominations worked and the way voting works. Yeah. Uh, I think and, not every organization, yeah, not every organization faced with those sorts of challenges, especially an organization that is fan run um, and that is the, you know, the community itself is responsible for. Um, can find the kind of wherewithal to look at a problem like that and figure out how to deal with it. Yeah. Uh, I think mm-hmm. we're more familiar with problems of culture wars and problems of um, of communities attacking each other and so on being responded to by by organizations shrugging their shoulders and saying, "Well, you know." <laughs> well, we don't and, want and to, it doesn't it doesn't yeah. help that uh, Worldcon does not change on a dime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Worldcon, no, it, it takes not. a while, doesn't it? Isn't it like two years for a change to happen? It's a two-year cycle. To... Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. Yeah, it is. I, I believe it's a two-year cycle um, before some something in the Constitution gets ratified. Um, There's a parliamentary but, procedure. Yeah, you well, have I, to. I, a... I don't attend the business meetings. I, I, don't I kind either. of stay as far away from them as possible. You but know. you have to go to the meetings. You have to you have to propose the change. It has to be discussed. It has to be put out for a vote. Uh, you got to come back the next year. I think is when everybody votes on the changes to ratify them, uh, and then it doesn't take effect until the year after that. So it's like it's like this cycle. Uh, so in order to fix the problem that the puppies caused, mm-hmm. uh, it took years. <laughs> it took years. That said, Worldcon, I think, was still doing slightly better than Kevin McCarthy was in trying to get the speaker. <laughs> yeah. You know, all things considered, you know, got those ducks pick in a me, row. Pick me, pick me, come on. <laughs> sure. That was a, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, oof. So, I, so putting things back into perspective here, again, for, for listeners who are pretty new to all of this and not wanting to get lost too much in kind of the, the drama details of it, um, because the Hugo Awards are meant to be a system by which the fans in the SFF community can acknowledge the work that they think is best, it's very wide ranging, the, the types of works yeah. that are acknowledged and the different categories that exist. So, for example... Um, and no, I don't have these memorized. I literally have the Hugo Award page open in front of me now. The categories top to bottom um, that exist that you can nominate things for best novel, obviously, best novella, best novelette, 
uh, best novelissima, best novelatissima. Those last two are bullshit. Those are not real. Um, a novella is, by the way, if you've ever been curious, anything between 17,500 and 40,000 words. And anything north of 40 is considered to be a novel for, for these nomination purposes. And, and it has to be um, in the previous year. It had to have been published Yeah, the that's the idea. Year. That's It's very similar to like the Oscars or whatnot. They wanted, yeah. they're trying to nominate within a year and to acknowledge within a given year what some of the best work created then was. Um, the, the novelette is kind of like a baby-sized novella. It's like a little toddler novella. Um, <laughs> a best short story, best series, uh, which is a newer award. That's only been around for the last few years. Um, and it requires that the series can be however long and however wide ranging, but the most recent installment of it needs to have been published within that, that given award year, best graphic story or comment, uh, best related work is a sort of funky and interesting category. It covers all sorts of stuff. Like people's blogs have been best related works and, um, anthologies of, you know, uh, historical documents and things related to SFF have been part of that and all sorts of cool things. Year, uh, years ago, years ago, mm -hmm. the, uh, the actress who did my crazy ex-girlfriend that mm -hmm. show on CW, yeah. she had a song oh. called fuck me, Ray Bradbury. And that got nominated because I, I actually got, met no, it her. Won. I believe it won. <laughs> Did it? I don't remember yeah. if it won or not, but I remember I her being at check. the Hugo Awards when I was at the Hugo Awards. A couple of years ago, I believe, um, gosh, whose dress was nominated as best related work? Oh, I even got, I've even got something dress? better than that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, oh, what's the, oh God, what's the kid's name? Well, he's not a kid anymore, but the, the guy who does the fanzines and he also does a podcast, but he does it on cassette tape. Christopher J. Garcia. I think I is know. his name. Yeah, I can't help. He had he he had such a reaction at the Hugo Awards that the next year his reaction yeah. was nominated. Yeah, or like as, this acceptance like speech yeah. for the Hugo Award yeah. is a Hugo Award nominee yes. for the following year. Yes. We've seen that too. Yeah. Um, okay. Best dramatic presentation, long form, often movies, but can also be live theater, even computer games. Um, you know, a, a musical work. I believe um, Janelle Monae's Dirty Computer a couple of years ago was nominated for Best Dramatic Presentation Long Form um, or possibly Best Related Work. It was one or the other. Uh, best Dramatic Presentation Short Form. Usually that ends up being television episodes, um, but it could be other things. Um, Joe, you got something? Uh, yeah. yeah. If, I'm, if I may interrupt on that, because I want to correct myself, the uh, Rachel Bloom and Fuck Me Ray Bradbury was in... Uh, Dramatic presentation, short form, and she finished. Ah, well, I don't right know there. what she finished, but she yeah. did not win. That was won yes. by Doctor. She Lee, didn't win. So I was gonna say I didn't think she sure. won. No. Yeah. So but it's always best nice to nominate it. Yeah, best editor, long form for editors of novels. Editor, short form for for editors of uh, short fiction magazines and things of that nature. Uh, best professional artist. So if you have a cover artist or or a creator whose work that you routinely like to see, that's super cool. Best semi-prosine is a funkily named category that basically means a magazine that can't turn a profit you can live on for the people who run it um, and is sort of essentially what it means. Uh, best fanzine, which is like even more not living on it. <laughs> <laughs> SF Signal. SF Signal won best fanzine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we we um, won that uh, two years. So. 
that that's an that's example. True. Like you could you have a blog like File Seven Seventy could be yeah, best fan. Yeah. Yeah, or best fan writer. Um, we've seen that Paul uh, go before. Paul Weimer yeah. needs to win um, that. Come on. People. Yep. Uh, best fan artist, also a super cool category. And then this one that nobody ever pays any attention to called best fan cast uh, for non-professional audio or video casting with at least four episodes. It has at least one episode released in the previous calendar year. Yeah. Yeah. It's possible that Patrick's pointing at something on a shelf behind him that's related. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it is possible. Yes, it is. <laughs> Gosh, you know, if all it takes Fanzine? is at least four episodes... How many episodes did we do in, in 2022 there, Mr. 47. Mr. Hester? 47. 47. So they just sent the email to, to like Arlie Song should, over at Locus. Yeah, we should logically be able to say we are 11 times more eligible for best <laughs> fan cast. Actually, like 11.3 <laughs> times more eligible for best fan cast than our likely competitors so yeah, yeah you can tell you teach it himself okay like yeah, i can tell sure. yeah, <laughs> so joe if you want to if you want to if you're listening to this podcast and you want to nominate something that you enjoyed in 2022 for a hugo award how do you do that well you'll um you will get uh, a ballot that you'll get notification of a ballot right if you're no no, no, no. A... hold on hold on hold on if you are if you're not like like Okay, so you're going to start with if you actually have a a, a WorldCon membership. Well, well, I figured we'd already discussed all the membership stuff, so okay, I'm okay, go kind ahead. of skipping so go that, ahead. right? So but if okay, you don't so have if, one, go get one. If you don't have one, go get a a, a uh, supporting membership, supporting or attending membership, right? If you want to go, you'll get a link yeah. to a ballot, and it'll it'll be in electronic form, and just go ahead and type away into that into that form, right? Yeah. Um, One of the cool things, too, about the the way that's typically done is the ballot stays open um, until the nominating period has closed. So right. if you want to start and type right. some things in provisionally, but you're not – this isn't your full ballot because you still have more things you want to watch, read, and listen to and whatever, um, you can return to it later and continue to update and save um, so that's very handy. And I think it takes into account that people's lives are busy and they have the best of intentions, but very few of us are willing to just sort of plop down in a single setting and say, yep, my mind's made up. This is it. Well, well, and in fact, if, if, you know, if you get, okay, I've read five, oops, I've just read another book from last year. I think that's better than that one. I can go and delete one and put, put a new one in right. I can, as, all the way up until the deadline. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then and, when the deadline uh, hits, it just automatically collects your ballot. You don't need to worry about scurrying back to hit a submit button or anything. It's a very clever system. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And um, then there's a, a, a newly arcane process for, for counting up nominations based once again on the, 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 the puppies thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, back, back before that, it was, I think, just, you know, count the nominations and the top five get in. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work that way anymore. And I don't, know the the details on, on now we, yeah we would have to ask sean duke to do the math to to know exactly how it works now mm -hmm. and we're not well, doing that because well, that's <laughs> we could also ask dave mccarty he knows since he helped implement it so but um i may actually talk to him on sunday but that's another story dare you um yeah we have a concom meeting for capricorn sunday so oh that's busy, tomorrow busy. oh my goodness that is tomorrow yes yeah it's so anyway, Saturday, they, Joe. They all <laughs> run together. Anyway. Saturday. <laughs> so now you're done. 
and and um, you wait for them before for the convention to notify you of the final ballot. And they will. And at that point, you get some sort of link that says, "By the way, uh, here's all the shit that's been nominated." Yeah. Go read yeah. it. Go listen to it. Go watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If there's uh, going to be a right. voting packet with the electronic versions for your ease of consumption, that would be with and, that same message. And that doesn't always come immediately. That can come a little bit after, depending yeah. on because they got to contact people and say, "Hey, we're going to occasionally." Do this. Yeah, you, you do nominated. have people who decline a nomination, or yeah, yeah, right, right. So yeah, and that and and sometimes that does come a lot later than slowpoke re- readers like I, yeah, like I am, have time to to finish reading. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. You know, so I like you, Patrick. I do my best. Yeah, a lot of times I'll look at that, and and like the novels are easier to to ignore. Unfortunately, it's like you can look at the names and go, I kind of get a gist of who these writers are and what they do. A lot of times, I will go and I will look at the the people who have been uh, uh, like the editors, mm-hmm. and I will try to go through their stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I don't know the editors yeah. a lot of times. And so it's easier mm-hmm. to go through the editors and just kind of uh, – in the past, we had uh, – SF Signal had to actually submit an episode or a mm-hmm. reel <laughs> mm-hmm. and say like, here's a reel. Uh, we, we tried to do like, can't we just give you a link and say here, go here? Browse. <laughs> like, no, what's a link? Can you fax it to us? And uh, <laughs> Carrier pigeon? <laughs> So I don't well, know how that's going to work now. The, the, the nice thing about the editor's stuff in the packet is that they will give you a list of the things that editor has worked on, right? Yeah. So you can go, you can go find anything that that editor has done and, and um, yeah. read it and make a decision. It's yeah. often really fun. Um, one of the things that eventually is generated uh, once once the Hugo Award ceremony has happened and we know who the winners are and everything, one of my favorite things to look at that usually isn't widely released until that point, um, you can Google to find what's the what's called the long list for that year. Um, so going beyond who were the people who made the ballot, who was like the top 15 or maybe the top 20 in certain categories. And the long list can be really fun and interesting to kind of look at, not just from a, from a level of like, oh, look, if that person had only had three more nominations, they might have been on the ballot, but also on the level of um, widening your sort of reading horizons and especially thinking about how many of the short fiction nominees are being published on online outlets where you have free access to their stories. It's a great opportunity to start reading um, sometimes up-and-coming voices, sometimes established voices, experimenting in new things. Um, So I really like, as a sort of follow-up to the whole Hugo process, when I get to see what's going on with the long list. Um, Well, and and that's that's fair and true, but I will say that even just nominating and, and voting for the Hugos over the last 40 years, my reading has changed. Yeah. My reading's expanded. The kind of things I will read, the kind of things that I've, I'm experiencing, a lot of the, all that, a lot of that change has happened because I've been attending the conventions and because I've been voting for it. It's not just mm-hmm. the longer list, which you're right. You're absolutely right. But it's, it's even the, the, the final list, the short list, mm-hmm. right? Who's that? I don't know who that is. Let's go read that and find out what that's like. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, it's more yeah, or less you impossible. Said, for, I was yeah, saying you, po- you posted something about uh, being into like wear poodle fiction now. 
<laughs> it, it has been a while, Tracy. It, it, he 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 really held back. He did okay. Yes, he, he made it to uh, thirty-eight minutes of recording time uh, before he busted out a poodle-related joke. Which, um, for for those of you who are unfamiliar with the larger mythology of the Clonoliverse, uh, they, they have two larger standard, two, two large standard poodles of of considerable attitude and groomedness. Um, yeah. The Canoliverse. I like that. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there there ought to be one, right? You know, <laughs> it's 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 full of cheese. Anyway, all right. So I think we're probably in a good place. So we've been talking about nominating things and giving them their propers, and like, how do we do that for this whole episode? Probably time for picks of the week, right? Do you want to do picks of the week now? I do. Did Dad say no? Dad said no. Dad said yes. Picks of the week. All right. Usually I do this thing where one or the other of us will go first and then the guest goes in the middle and the other one of us bats clean up. But Joe, you, you know your functional nerds really well, so you don't necessarily need to follow from example here. Would you like to lead us off in your pick of the week? I can, and in fact, if I have time, I have two. You do have time, but I think it would have been funny if you'd said no. (laughs) I refuse. (laughs) I will not lead off. You know, and this is the studying part, right? This is the part where I took my time. Okay, Okay, yeah, that's fair. That's fair, yeah. Okay, so so the first one is is a recent pop culture thing. uh, Well, culture. Um, Yeah. Mrs. Cannoli, if we're going to refer to her that way, and I just finished watching um, the, the the first season of Star Trek Prodigy. Oh, okay. And I, and I, I don't know if that uh, one. Patrick. Uh, so, so that is a um, combined production of Nickelodeon and Paramount Plus, and it's an, yep. It's kind of a YA Star Trek, if you will. Huh. With, with I watched the, the first couple of episodes. Yeah, and. Uh, the intent is to introduce younger viewers to Star Trek so that you don't have to have the background of Star Trek. Okay. So you don't yeah. need to know the mythology mythology to get into it. Mm-hmm. Right. And and, and it, so it, it, go ahead. Does it, it starts in the is does it start in the Delta Quadrant? It does. It starts in the yeah, Delta yeah, yeah. Quadrant on a prison planet, and there's like about a half a dozen uh, young aliens who escape and commandeer the USS Proto Star, a um, a Starfleet starship, yeah, and take off in it, right? And they are mentored by a hologram of of Captain or Admiral at this point, Janeway, uh, paid by played by Kate Mulgrew, her voice. Oh, cool. Yeah, they get her, and um, they start. Uh, how far have you gotten, Patrick? Because you know, I did the first couple of episodes. Okay. Um, you know, the, as with any with any team, especially youngsters, they, they they spend a lot of time learning how to work together, and you know, learn how to make smart decisions. Sometimes make dumb ones, but there is an overarching series uh, season plot that doesn't become um, obvious until the second half of the season, and it's actually quite insidious and. Um, it's actually kind of cool. It's uh, it's a really really good story. Um, Robert Beltran, who played Chakotay, does come and voice himself. Oh, cool. And there's some other actors that are that that have been in the Star Trek universe that do that do some voicing. Um, the animation. So it's, so it's an, oh, it is animated. Okay, it's it is an animated. animated. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's a, a it's a different animation style than from Lower Decks. Yeah. Yes, yes. It's it's outstanding. It's outstanding. So we recommend that. I recommend that. It's it's more Star Trek, and we support that. Yes. Very cool. And yes. is that through the Paramount Plus platform, or how does one? Yeah. You okay. can get it through Paramount Plus. It's supposed to be on Nickelodeon. I've never searched it out there. Is it on yeah. Nickelodeon or is it on Nick, 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 the Nick, Nick, the Nick, Nick, Nickelodeon? It's on Nickelodeon. It's it's almost over, Joe. It's okay. Just... It's, it's okay. I'll survive. It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other one, in trying to keep with the theme of of what we were talking about here, is I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend a book from 2022. Nice. Um, um, uh, and the, the novelist is Lavi Tidar. Mm. And he wrote Levy. a book called... It's actually Lavi. Lavi Tidar. Lavi, I'm sorry. Thank you. Uh, the book is Neom, which was released oh, okay. late in the year. It's in his uh, Central Station universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if in, if you know anything about about him, he he does love to call back to classic science fiction in this case we have we have robots we have um love stories we have we have all all sorts of things and and this takes place um in the central station universe on the other side of the red sea from central station and um in in a city called neon which by the way did you know there's a real one being built in saudi arabia called neon go go google it it's real Um, I don't know if he knew about it when he was writing this. Um, he may have. Um, and the, the idea is that, uh, one of our characters works in a flower shop and a robot comes in looking for a rose and, uh, the rose is going to help him apparently find the golden man who is going to do something, which I don't want to spoil it. But there's uh, lots of callbacks to Philip K. Dick and Arthur C. Clarke and Asimov, um, and some, some actual great quotes. I actually have them on the screen. Um, we were free, <laughs> talks about, so what do robots dream about, uh, Nazir said, and do robots dream? So we're talking about Philip K. Dick, Electric right? Sheep. Yeah. We have a, a slight reference to uh, 2010 by Clarke for... Um, the Forbidden Moon of Europa, if anybody remembers that from 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, we got we got a reference to the Bible in here. The golden arm man raised his hands and the Red Sea, which was filled to the brim with the waste and remains of smart matter, began to part at its command. So um, the writing is awesome. The story is awesome. And I just I love his work. So I recommend recommend Neom by Levi awesome. Tedar. Thanks. That does sound super cool. Yeah. All right. We, uh, uh, or at least I interviewed him when he was in Israel. You want to talk about time zone fun, Tracy? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, I almost I co- got him to do a spit take. Yeah. I have a coworker in the Philippines, right, who works our hours. Yeah. So we work with people in the Eastern, Central, Mountain, West, and Philippine time zones. Yeah, every day. So, at yeah. my work, at my work, we have a we have an entire uh, development team in Vietnam. Oof. Mm. So yeah, 
it's always fun when you get up in the morning and, and there's just a little bit of overlap as they're getting ready to leave and we're starting. You're coming in. Yeah. 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 Always fun. Always fun. Well, um, I have, uh, we, you mentioned uh, in our last episode, Patrick, that you were sort of returning to form, but slightly off of your usual center. And this is a return to form for me because New Year and we've got our first game recommendation of the New Year. Uh, this is actually a Christmas gift that Deirdre got from Husbeast, uh, but we've been playing it together and it's been a lot of fun. Um, several episodes ago, one of my picks of the week was uh, a game called Azul. And so this is actually uh, made by the same designers as the original Azul. Uh, it's not an expansion to it. It's its own standalone game that has some mechanics in common with Azul. Um, if you remember any of my game recommendations that I've sort of been throwing at you over the last like two and a half years, uh, I've also mentioned a game called Calico, uh, which was the one where you're trying to make a quilt that the cats will lay on. And so you have to design a certain pattern that the cat will want to lay on. Um, in a lot of ways, Azul, the Queen's Garden, which is the game that I'm recommending for this week, is like if the better parts of Azul, the original mosaic tile laying game, met the better parts of Calico. So in this case, you are trying to make a garden and you're trying to make the garden to conform to certain specifications that, yeah, ultimately are point scoring because it's a game. But it has a number of really interesting mechanics involving how you draw your tiles and make purchasing decisions about how you deploy them. And the most interesting part of it is it actually has a mechanic that they've added to the game to disincentivize hate drafting. People who play games a lot are familiar with the term hate drafting, which is where you look at the resources available in front of you and the, what you might need to use and also what the people around you are building towards. And maybe you decide to take something that isn't super useful for you, but would completely screw over the next player in the rotation. So you want to take that resource to deny it to them. Um, Deirdre is the queen of hate drafting. It is her favorite maneuver for winning a game is if she can't figure out how to get what she wants to score for herself, she will figure out what you need and just vulture it constantly. And so <laughs> Azul, the queen's garden has presented this whole new challenge because it has an end game mechanic where if there's any pieces that you've taken that you can't figure out how to use the value of those pieces is deducted from your score. So there's actually a punishment for hate drafting. If you can't use the piece, now you're in for it uh, in the end. And so needless to say, this has made the game a darling of our table recently because <laughs> it's one of the few things that has brought meaningful discipline into the life of my hellacious daughter child. <laughs> I I don't understand the game mechanic of, of quilting something in a pattern that will please the cat and make the cat want to lay on it. Because in my experience... Any fucking scrap of cloth that you put on the floor will draw the cat to sit on. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I think it's a it's a game mechanic that uh, rather ambitiously imagines the aesthetic needs of the cat. Um, okay. But yeah. Yeah. And and I can see D being driven completely insane by not being able to use her normal. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It's like you can see the smoke coming out of her ears. Oh yeah, oh, she yeah. still likes she still likes the game, and and because now the game broke her strategy, so she must break. I must break game in return. <laughs> you broke strategy, I will break you. So now she's she's not even so much playing against you. She's just playing against the game uh, to try and we, figure we, out how do I win if I can't hate draft. <laughs> we need to teach the kid to uh, pull. 
because that mm. is also that is also a strategy in pool is if if your shot if you can't make a shot mm. uh, don't scratch screw up their shot but yeah. screw up their shot you know yeah. uh, hit 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 it so that you, you're you know, like the cue ball hits your ball exactly where you so you're not scratching but then the cue ball like ends up behind the eight ball <laughs> right <laughs> where the next yeah. person can't take a shot you right know, right uh, yeah I think that would be. I think once we got her past the idea that the cue is not itself a weapon, then we would be ready to, you know, introduce her to pool proper. Why isn't the cue a weapon? <laughs> I mean, she's not. Ready oh, you, first. you, I, I understand. Yeah, I understand your confusion. She's not ready you've for never, her first barroom fight yet. Yeah, you've We're never had to go to years. a bar and shoot pool with my brother. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. 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 So, uh, so Patrick. <laughs> How about yes. you? What's your pick? Uh, well, I was going to pick the the Ware Poodle book that Joe's been reading, but um, he didn't pick that fate. So I'm going to pick a documentary. It's on uh, Disney Plus, and it is uh, directed and narrated by Mary McCartney, mm-hmm. the daughter of Paul and Linda McCartney. And it is called If These Walls Could Sing, and it's the history of Abbey Road, uh, nice. the Abbey Road Studios. And she starts it off with a picture of herself as a baby sitting inside of Abbey Road. She's like, I've literally been in Abbey Road my entire life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people, when they, if they even become aware of Abbey Road, if they think of Abbey, Abbey Road, they they think immediately of the Beatles. And of course, the Beatles spent a lot of time there. They ended up uh, using it extensively. Uh, at, you know, I think Apple, uh, their studio, did a lot of the recordings there. Uh, but it, it actually goes beyond that. There, there, you know, Abbey Road had a a a beginning that was well before the Beatles, <laughs> and it continued well beyond the Beatles. Uh, what our listeners may not know is that, uh, a lot of classical music was recorded at Abbey Road before the Beatles, during the Beatles, after the Beatles, uh, a lot of other bands and artists recorded there, including, you know, Elton John, uh, uh, oh, I'm thinking even further up the, um, was it Oasis? I think recorded there. You've had tons of people, uh, What's his face? John Williams recorded oh, wow. the Phantom Menace stuff there and other Star mm. Wars things there. You know, uh, he, he recorded Raiders uh, of, was it Raiders or was it one of the other movies? But he did, he did some of the Indiana Jones stuff there mm-hmm. as well. And he, he was just blown away by the studio itself. And so there's just this rich, rich history of Abbey Road. And if you watch this documentary, you get a ton of music, wonderful music from every genre uh, that you can possibly imagine. And it's just, it's wonderful. <laughs> it kind of reminded me, you know, I picked the the James Bond documentary not too long ago, The Sound of James Bond. Uh, it's very similar to that in that there's so many different musical styles, so many different mm-hmm. artists who've come through Abbey Road and they all say the same thing. It's like Abbey Road is it's it's like it's 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 an entity right it it has a soul it has this this magic to it and things that are recorded there don't sound like other places it's just got this sound and this feeling and this vibe and of course musicians being uh uh 
very spiritual <laughs> with their with how they feel about music and you, they come in and they feel like the people who were there before are still there. The music that they made is still there. It's influencing them when they come into the studio today to record something. And it's just them building on this legacy of Abbey Road. So uh, I'm wearing my, I'm wearing a, a, my, I don't wear the Beatles shirts very often, but I'm wearing the River Soul shirt today uh, because I was thinking about this documentary. It's a, it's a wonderful documentary. Tons of video, tons of, uh, music, tons of still images, a lot that Linda McCartney herself took. Uh, it's just, it's a wonderful documentary. So I'm, I'm putting that out there. Uh, if these walls could sing, it's on Disney plus, uh, and it's wonderful. So there you go. All right. You're collecting like, like the bingo card of, of all of the really cool documentaries in this last year or so. Yeah. I, I, I love documentaries for the most part. Uh, I, I, I especially love the ones about music. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it almost feels like a mixtape. Mm-hmm. And I've mm-hmm. always been a fan of mixtapes. You know how it, it, like in college people would make mixtapes and give them to people as mm-hmm. as yeah. like uh, – uh, this is my this is this is our friendship as encapsulated in either music. friendship or a lot of times they would try to do it almost as a romantic thing. It's like, hey, yeah. I like you. Here's a mixtape. Yo, <laughs> um, I have always done the friendship mixtapes. Like I have always gone, oh my god, you've never heard of X Y Z? Here, let me make it. Oh, okay. Like that was yeah. like the first thing I did. I got a uh, I got a really cheap. I've told the story before. I got a really cheap stereo at Kmart. <laughs> this is how far, far back we're going. And I'll even, for the Fresno people, I will say this was the Kmart that was on Blackstone Avenue. Uh, like Blackstone and was it Bullard? I want to yeah. say mm-hmm. uh, it was by, it was on the opposite. It was, it was, uh, you had the hobby shop uh, in the strip mall and then you had Tower Records was kind of in the middle and then you had uh, Kmart on the end. And I, uh, I bought this stereo there and it had a turntable and it had a dual cassette player and I didn't really have albums. So I had bought a CD player and then I used the CD player and hooked it into the stereo. Then it had these giant cheap ass speakers, but I would, I would play the CD and then I could record from the CD to the cassette players and I would make people mixtapes that way. And then later on I got to the point where I could burn uh, CDs in my computer and I would burn people uh, mixtapes and just try to get them to, and I always had themes. Like I was oh, such a lime wire. Imagine that. that. Imagine that. I was like a nerd about making mixtapes for people. Uh, <laughs> is this is yeah, my surprise. I, I, I had a lot of fun with that. So anyway, Cannoli Joe. Yes. How'd you get your name? <laughs> oh, I was wondering if that was going to come up. So if you remember you and uh, John and Yuleo, Mm-hmm. were uh, media guests of honor at Capricorn 35. I do sort of remember that. And you had, I want to say, Mary Robin and Koal on. We did, yes. A we did a live, live recording. Pod, yep. Live recording at that. God, I remember that. You remember the toys? And, I brought toys. Pardon me? Do you remember my toys? I brought all the little toys. I had the little green no, I do not. And, and I had the Borg, and I had all the little stuff set up on the table. So if I remember correctly, you were looking for cannoli. You were busy. I don't remember what the actual situation was, but a buddy of mine and I went across the parking lot to the Italian restaurant. 
we had dinner and I brought cannoli back for you. Yeah. <laughs> because you had always been talking about cannoli on the podcast. When I heard that you were, you and John were going to be our guests, I started listening to you guys. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's funny that, and I know we're running long on this, but it's funny the foods that stay with you. Uh-huh. And I, I mentioned this before. My dad had a restaurant on Cermak Road. Uh, it was called Sorrento's. And it was Italian restaurant slash pizza place is what we called it. Because it had the it had the it had the restaurant on one side, the mm-hmm. kitchen on the other, and the kitchen had the half door where people could just kind of come in. It had a little waiting room and you could order food to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we did pizza delivery. And uh, so I grew up with Italian food and, and cannoli. And then when we moved to California, we could not find cannoli as an example. And then, uh, so that stuck with me. It's like, I remember I finally found an Italian uh, deli slash bakery that would make cannoli, but they made them really small. So they made like these little mini cannoli yeah, and they were stupidly expensive. And I would buy those every once in a while or mom would buy them and, and we'd have like a dozen cannoli and, and they were great. And like, that was where we could get them. And then when I moved to Tennessee, obviously no cannoli. <laughs> and, uh. When I moved to Denver, uh, my boss at the time was Italian, and and uh, I would talk about cannoli, and he would make these faces, and he's like, "Oh my God, you like that? You like cannoli? That's disgusting." And I'm like, "No, no, I love." Cannoli. Oh, I think I, you told me this story before, yeah. And he took me to an Italian restaurant where they did uh, uh, smothered cannolis that were that were basically they took the cannoli shell, they stuffed them with sausage and cheese, and they it's smothered like a them in marinara stromboli. sauce. Yeah, it was it was yeah. so great, and I finally told him, "I'm like, oh, this is disgusting. I don't blame you. This is not what I'm talking about." So I just have always like hung mm-hmm. on to that. Like there was things that you that we had in Chicago that we could not get outside of Chicago sure. in any sort of decent way. Cannoli was sure. one. Pizza was another. Uh, we we struggled to find pizza. I remember my brother coming home uh, after we moved to California. My brother coming home and saying, "Mom, we got to get out of this fucking place. They put pineapple on pizza." <laughs> <laughs> Like he was shocked. Like he went to somewhere and they put pineapple on the pizza and he was like, what the fuck is going on? Where are we? Do you remember that big old cannoli pyramid picture that my wife found and had me send to you on Facebook? Yep. (laughs) So yeah, that's how I got that name. I think. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, uh, uh, we have run long. Thank you for coming on and explaining all this. Uh, Tracy, I'm sure you have stuff you want to say. Just thanks so much, Joe. We appreciate you uh, being willing to make the pivot from listener to main event. Well, you're welcome. And thank you for inviting me. I had a good time. I appreciate it. All right, folks. And before we go, this is probably a good time to mention that if you're anywhere in the uh, upper part of the Midwest and you're looking for a fun convention experience uh, in the early winter, although I can't recommend the weather in Chicago as a (laughs) Chicagoan myself who has experienced the February of Chicago many, many times, I can recommend Capricorn as a convention experience. And that's coming up in just a couple of weeks from the time that you hear this recording. Um, so if you haven't had the opportunity to go to a convention in a while and are looking for a way to get that process started, uh, Capricorn in Chicago, of which Joe is one of the, the many generous volunteers and planners is a good place to start. Yep. Yeah. So uh, to, to fill out the, the information, it's February 2nd through 5th mm -hmm. at the Sheraton Grand directly across the river from the Shikon Hotel. 
there you go. So, and and as Tracy mentioned earlier, I am not going this year. Uh, mm-hmm. I made the decision financially uh, not to do it because you know the stuff with the house fell through and blah 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 blah. But uh, I'm not going. But Tracy will be there. Joe will be there. Uh, there will also be a gentleman named Sean Duke there. So if you if you're a listener and you decide to go, I need you to walk up to to Sean. Uh, give him a big smile uh, and and tell him that we're a better podcast. That's that seems like a normal and well-adjusted thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> just, just let him know. Functional Nerds, way better podcast. Yeah. yeah. Way better. <laughs> do a Fortnite dance too when you do it. That yeah. way they'll know to take you seriously. And then, and then, and then congratulate him on his wedding. Yeah, yes, that, that actually would be a valid thing to do. Yeah. So True take that. this thing away a little bit, but after – you lampoon him so yeah yeah for sure, for sure. gotta end on the good footing <laughs> thank you joe you're welcome <laughs> what on earth hey hey oh oh hi patrick tracy what are you doing to the bumper? Uh, fortifying it. Duh. This is because we just talked to Keith Amon about defending your lair. And... And I started thinking about that time beyond the trope, tried to take over. Yeah, I, I act cool about that, but I guess it kind of got to me after all. You do realize that building a... what? What is this? It's a palisade. Right. You realize that physical fortifications are not a way of protecting and preserving the podcast into the future, right? I suppose. Oh, oh, what about weapons? You're kidding. You have two Hugo Awards. Those trophies are very pointy and probably excellent for close quarters combat. Oh my God, you're not kidding. You can't tell me that you don't look at those trophies sometimes and think about how good it would feel to just poke them right into Sean Duke from Skiffy and Fanty, huh? Huh? My therapist says I need to give my worst impulse of space to be entertained intellectually but not acted upon. I would totally act on that. But there's a problem. I don't have a Hugo Award trophy. I don't even have one of the tiny stabity nomination pins. Patrick. Patrick. Why are you grabbing me by the collar? Why am I narrating about it? This is audio entertainment, Patrick. Just give the cues. Patrick, I need that Hugo trophy to help you defend our layer. Podcast. But layer, podcast, whatever. We need to make sure the listeners know that nominating for the Hugo Awards is a great way to contribute to the SF community and honor content creators they like. Maybe even the functional nerds by nominating them for categories like best fan cast. Please let me go. Oh, sorry. Would you feel better if we also told folks that interested listeners can go to the current Worldcon Facebook page for more information? I cannot actually pronounce that name of that current page, but they're in China. Oh, or they could skip straight to finding the Chengdu Worldcon on the web at en.chengduworldcon.com. You know, you're stronger than I thought you'd be. My neck hurts. (laughs) Walk it off, Hester. Here, here's a hammer. We've got work to do. Let's take a second to talk about Beyond the Trope. 
If you're looking for another podcast to listen to, we recommend Beyond the Trope. Giles and Michelle have been putting out episodes for a really long time. Not as long as me, but don't hold that against them. They have a lot of great guests, just like we do. And they put out their episodes on Tuesdays, just like we do. They also have a Patreon with a bunch of extra content for backers, which is really cool. They have a Redbubble site where you can buy stuff. Also cool. And I just wanted to throw it out there. Beyond the Trope. Check them out. I think you'll like them. So there. Mr. Carpiers. You got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. If you've if you've never listened to the podcast, there there's there's two different styles here. There's there's Tracy who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions, and then oh squirrel. Oh, for God's sake, Patrick Louise. <laughs> Are you okay with me recording you today for the purposes of this podcast? Okay, that's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> when someone comes up to me and says, "Hey, I really love what you do," I'm like. I'm sorry, do you know who I, like, I think you have me confused with someone else. The whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff. My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited.